0: Let's open our Bibles to the third chapter of John, and let us resume where we left off a couple of months ago after having covered the first two chapters in 19 sermons. Let's take up John chapter 3. I may go faster than you wish, I may go slower than you wish. I hope that you'll be merciful and trust my judgment and the blessing of the Lord on His leading of us. Amen. Every time I take up a passage like this, or like the Gospel of John, the closer you look at it, the more you want to slow down and think about each of the words that the Holy Spirit has inspired for us there. And so I hope you'll remember that as we proceed. I do not want to review chapters 1 and 2. The only part that's germane at the moment is going to be verses 11 and 12 through 13 of chapter 1 and the last three verses of chapter 2 coming into this chapter and we will have occasion to look at them momentarily. Let me read to you the first three verses of John 3. There was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. The same came to Jesus by night And said unto him, Rabbi, we know that thou art a teacher come from God. For no man can do these miracles that thou doest, except God be with him. Jesus answered and said unto him, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Amen and amen. Let's see if we can cover these verses today. If we can cover more, we'll do so. But if not, it'll be these three. There was a man. When I open up John 3 and I find those words, I am very comforted and I want to comfort you with the fact that God, the Lord Jehovah, Relates to us individually. And that should cause us great hope and joy that God has an individual, personal, intimate relationship with each. For throughout the pages of both Testaments, we find certain men or certain women, individuals, a man here, a woman there, that God deals with personally. And if the truth be told, and I want to tell the truth, He has dealt with each of us individually in our lives. If you go back and assess your life, when the Lord spoke to you, moved you, convicted you, touched you, convinced you, revealed truth to you, saved you, forgave you, blessed you, led you, you have been a man or a woman in a relationship with Him. And He has done the seeking. And He has done the saving. And He has done the finding. And we want to thank Him for that. Every individual person, man or woman or child, is uniquely known by God. And there was a man. It wasn't circumstantial. It wasn't chance. It wasn't fate. It was God's providential arrangement for the conception and life and preparation of Nicodemus for this event. It was the conception and the life and the preparation of the Lord Jesus Christ for this event in order for us to have John chapter 3. There was a man. You're not alone. This is one of the most hope-filled facts of our existence, to excite our souls that God is with us individually and personally. You're not alone and believers know that this God will never forsake them. I will never leave thee nor forsake thee. David could say in Psalm 27, David could say in Psalm 46, though an host should encamp against me, though the heavens and the earth and the mountains be cast into the sea, it doesn't matter. God is still going to be with us. It doesn't matter if we make our bed in heaven or we make our bed in hell in the grave. Psalm 139, the Lord is there with us. Right. And so when we, get, when we start out and we see these words, there was a man. It's important for us to know a little bit about the exchange with Nicodemus. But we want to remember that God has had a few exchanges with us. Amen. He has put things in writing to us. He has sent men with beautiful feet to preach to us. He has sent the Holy Spirit to convict us. He has laid more before us than this man knew. He's given us more than this man knew after he was done hearing Jesus teach him. We have been very blessed. Keep in mind, as we proceed into this first verse, what was said in the last three verses of chapter 2. Because it was a separate little notation there from our brother John about men. Look at what we have written in John two twenty-three, Speaking of Jesus, Now when he was in Jerusalem at the Passover, in the feast day, many believed in his name, when they saw the miracles which he did. But Jesus did not commit himself unto them, because he knew all men. And needed not that any should testify of man, for he knew what was in man. He knew the deceitful, wicked, depraved hearts of men in general. He knew that some of these believers on him were not truly saved. They were not elect. They were reprobates. We will deal with this throughout the Gospel of John. Unlike the other Gospels, John, who emphasized belief, also points out those believers that were the children of the devil. Because there's different levels of believing. There's different kinds of believing. There's mental assent to facts that are before your eyes watching Jesus of Nazareth perform miracles that show no change in heart whatsoever. They're not the result of regeneration. They're the result of indisputable facts. And so men believed on his name that he was Jesus of Nazareth and he very well could be the Messiah because of the miracles he was performing. But Jesus did not commit himself to them because he knew that they were not real believers. And we are going to run into other situations where not only will he not commit himself to them, but he will provoke them by questions or by hard doctrine to drive them away or to provoke them to where they want to kill him. And we're going to run into those before we get out of John. You can find them in John 5, 6, 7, 8, 9. Five chapters in a row have those kind of men that are exposed by the Lord Jesus Christ. Many believed on him for his miracles, but he avoided them. But here we have a man that believed on him for his miracles, but was received by Jesus. Not only was he received by Jesus, but Jesus committed some things to him that are the deeper, some deeper truth than we have had so far in this gospel. Deeper truth than Nicodemus had ever heard. And Jesus makes comparison of this deeper truth, that I'm, I'm from heaven, and I've brought things down, and you need to listen to some of these things. I'm sorry that you, being a master in Israel, do not know these things. And so Jesus committed some truth to him. And we'll see that shortly. I want to say this. And I I wish that we didn't get led astray by things. It's very difficult to prove absolutely that Nicodemus is born again. The circumstances lean in that direction. I tend to believe that myself. But it is so inconsequential, I don't even like talking about it. Because it doesn't change a thing. It's not how we prove doctrine. We do not prove anything about regeneration by whether Nicodemus was or not. Right. We prove truth about regeneration by what Jesus said about regeneration to Nicodemus. Right. Amen. And I wish that we would always keep our focus there rather than trying to figure out was Nebuchadnezzar born again? It doesn't matter. Right. What he said was true because it was by the inspiration of God. And God is able to inspire Balaam's ass or Balaam, or Nebuchadnezzar, or Nicodemus, however he wants to use men, that is not how we judge salvation. If I were to tell you that Nebuchadnezzar was definitely born again, how will that help you? There isn't one modicum of value in that statement. It doesn't change a thing. So, I don't really have anything to say about Nicodemus. I tend to personally believe that he was born again by the way that the Lord Jesus Christ taught him, the way that he defended Jesus Christ in John chapter 7, and his role in working with Joseph of Arimathea in in burying the body of the Lord Jesus Christ at the end of the Gospel of John. We don't read about Nicodemus anywhere else in the Bible, but we do have him three times in this Gospel. There's another category of men that Jesus does pursue and commits himself to. And I hope that we will remember those kind of men. We do not want to be in the category of the last three verses of John chapter 2. We do not want to be those that believe in some mental ascent way in Jesus Christ that are not truly his, and that Jesus does not commit himself to. We want to be like Zacchaeus who was hiding in a tree because he was short in stature, wanting to see Jesus of Nazareth when he passed that way. Jesus stopped under that tree, called to Nicodemus, had him come down. Nicodemus repented on the spot. Jesus said, Today is salvation. Come to this house because this man is a son of Abraham. Wonderful. That's And then I want to go eat lunch with you. Zacchaeus, a great transaction there in the gospel of Luke. We want to remember the Gadarene. This has been mentioned to you many times that when you read about Jesus crossing the sea of the of Galilee in a storm, that it was to find one man on the other side. And that one man was the Gadarene. So when it says there was a man, there was once a young man in the state of Washington in the little town of Camus, having left his parents and telling his father that he had no need of the Bible where he was going, there was a young man that the Lord found. Right. And the Lord's chased me all my life. And I'm thankful for that. He is the good shepherd. He is the great shepherd. He is the shepherd of his sheep. He right. laid down his life for the sheep. He knows his sheep his sheep know him he calls his own sheep by name and they follow him and i'm thankful for all that Amen. and i get it from there was a man and i want to address every one of you and i don't i wouldn't care if i stayed the rest of this morning on there was a man if you would leave every man woman and child realizing that there is a personal relationship with god himself through jesus christ that you should be exploiting and enjoying and enhancing and exceeding that you've ever had before. I fear that you want me to get into verse 3 and start tearing up Billy Graham and decisional regenerationists. You know I get enough pleasure out of that. But that's not my chief joy. My chief joy is there was a man. And there was a man here, and there's all these men and women there And the Lord has been gracious to pursue us, to teach us, to lead us, and to convict us. I think of that Gadarene who wanted to go with Jesus. And Jesus said, go home and tell your friends and your family what great things the Lord hath done for thee. And he went and began to publish from Decapolis all the things that Jesus had done for him. That if you were reading your Bibles carefully, and I mentioned this recently on Wednesday evening... In Matthew 14, when Jesus went across the Sea of Galilee again, a great crowd met Him. And do you know where that great crowd came from? The Gadarene. Right. There was a man. I think of the Canaanite woman that you read about in Matthew 15. She had a daughter vexed with devils. And she came after the Lord Jesus Christ. His disciples rebuked her tried to discourage her. Jesus discouraged her. Jesus said, "I'm not sent but to the lost sheep, a house of Israel. Get away from me, you Gentile dog. I'm paraphrasing. She said, "Yea, Lord, that's all true, but the dogs do eat the crumbs from their master's table. Amen. And Jesus said, "I haven't found so great faith. you know there's a woman, there was a woman right. yep. and you read these in the gospel. How fast do you read your Bibles? Can I get you to slow down? Do you know that you wouldn't hurt if you read John 3 and didn't make it past the first four words? If you, if you got moved and convicted by the first four words, there was a man, and you got on your knees and told the Lord, I want to be that man. Seek me, Lord Jesus Christ. I seek your face. Your word says to me that I ought to seek your face. Thy face, Lord, will I seek. I want to be your man. I want to be your woman. I want to be your teenager. That would be profitable Bible reading. I think of a thief on the cross. Lord, remember me. There was a man that said, Lord, remember me. Today thou shalt be with me in paradise. How about a blind man born blind and left blind for decades? In John chapter 9, there was a man. Yes, there was. How about Lazarus and his sisters? There was a man and two sisters. And the Lord Jesus Christ loved all three of them. How about the eunuch? There was a man under great authority from Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, that had gone to Jerusalem for to worship and was going home in his chariot and was in the midst of the desert. There was a man in the middle of the desert. But the Holy Spirit told Philip, You arise and get down there in the middle of the desert because I've got a man for you to meet. May the Lord bless us to believe these things. There was a man that arose from Jerusalem to go to Damascus to persecute Christians, and he was met by the Lord Jesus Christ. His name was Saul of Tarsus. Cornelius. All of Acts 8. Much of Acts 8 is about the eunuch. All of Acts 9 is about Saul of Tarsus. Acts 10 is about Cornelius. These are men. And hasn't the Lord done the same for us? And So when when we read this, let's think about the Lord Jesus Christ receiving us, teaching us, helping us, And so forth. You know, there's Lydia in Acts 16. There's the jailer in Acts 16. Lord, have mercy. We thank you. Whatever conviction or opportunity that you have toward the Lord Jesus Christ, run with it today. Run with it today. Whatever has been prayed, sung, said, preached, read to you today that lets you know that today... Is an opportunity for you to pursue the Lord Jesus Christ, and you feel you are convinced you have thoughts that you ought to do so, do it today. Do it now. It doesn't last forever. He'll withdraw it, He'll withdraw Himself. Seek ye the Lord while He may be found. Isaiah 55, verse 6, teaches us. You can come to Jesus Christ today in humble submission as Saul of Tarsus. It doesn't take much. Lord, what wilt thou have me to do? And the Lord had a few things for Saul of Tarsus to do. Do not turn away from him that is present today and speaking to us by his word. There are other foolish men in the Bible. There was a man... Named Felix. And Paul reasoned with him of righteousness, temperance, and judgment to come. And Felix trembled. Felix trembled, but said, When I have a more convenient season, I'll call for you again. Don't ever say that. We don't ever read about anything happening in the life of Felix for his profit or benefit. Two chapters later in Acts 26, Agrippa, King Herod Agrippa II said, Almost thou persuadest me to be a Christian. Don't you let any almost occur today. Let it be all together, like Paul said as he answered Agrippa. There was a man of the Pharisees. Wonderful. This man was of the denomination called the Pharisees, of the Jews' religion. The Jews were monotheistic followers of Jehovah of Moses. The Pharisees were the most conservative denomination of the Jews. The Bible tells us this in Acts chapter 26. If you want to hear the words, they're this. Here's Paul before Agrippa. The Jews know from the beginning, if they would testify, that after the most straightest sect of our religion, I loved a Pharisee. Now that's a double superlative. The most straightest. And straight there is not straight like the flight of an arrow. Straight there is S-T-R-A-I-T like straight jacket. The strictest, most restraining religion of the Jews, the most straightest were the Pharisees. Paul tells us that. And he testifies that in front of Jewish witnesses from Jerusalem that could have countered that testimony if it hadn't been true. Now, the, Pharaoh, the Sadducees, the, another denomination of the Jews, were liberal. Acts 23, Paul, Luke tells us about Paul's trial, that the Sadducees say there is no resurrection, neither angel nor spirit. But the Pharisees confess both. The Pharisees were fundamentalists. They believed in the, the resurrection of bodies. They believed that there were angels that had spirits, And they believed that men had spirits. The Sadducees were the liberals of their day. They denied that there was a resurrection of the body. They denied that there were angel spirits. And they denied that there were human spirits. There weren't spirits. And so Jesus would take them apart in different ways than he took the Pharisees apart. As you can read in Matthew 22, where he does them successively. Because after he would shame the Pharisees in public, the Sadducees would start to think haughtily, and so then he would shame them, then the Pharisees would start to think haughtily, he would shame them again. Matthew 22 is good reading. And uh, it's coming up. Enjoy it when you get there. The Pharisees had numerous traditions that they had added to the Word of God. We need to remember something, that being more conservative than Scripture is not better. If you do something more conservative than Scripture, you're not better than Scripture. You're a weak brother. You're a weak sister. You have erred from the way of understanding. And you're in danger of your soul for being so foolish as to think you can be stricter than God's Word. When you hear some of the things that we teach are Christian liberties, and you say, well, I would never allow that. Well, that's good for good for you if God's leading you to that for some reason, some noble reason, terrific. We're deeply impressed. As you can tell, my heart is vigorously pumping peanut butter for your conviction on a matter of liberty. You can't be more conservative than God. God has laid out everything in the word of God that is to be required to be prohibited and to be treated as liberty for infinitely wise reasons and when you shift those three categories you are becoming your own God and I fear for you let's not be like the Pharisees or the Sadducees, there's two ditches more conservative than God's word more liberal than God's word and we want the crown of the road exactly what the Bible says some things that I allow to be liberty from God's word it's God's word allowing it to be liberty allow it in others. If you don't want it, that's fine. If you have liberty, have it to yourself. If you don't have liberty, have that to yourself as well. Let's think a a few minutes about these Pharisees because the word is given to us by the Holy Spirit and they were the greatest enemies that Jesus Christ had when he was on earth. The Pharisees, the strictest, most conservative fundamentalists were his greatest enemies. Keep that in mind as you think about what city we live in and a particular university that some of us went to and the number of independent, fundamentalist Baptist churches that are in this county and the number of fundamental, independent Baptist churches that have been started across this country and around the world from this county. And think about who our greatest enemies are. The liberals don't really care. You know, the liberals don't really care because we're all going to the same place. We're all going to heaven anyway. There is no such thing as hell. And uh, you've got your Bible, and I've got my Bible, and my Bible has 75 books, and yours has 66. And I've got a woman preacher who's a lesbo, and you've got a male preacher that isn't yet. Uh, I mean, they're just all messed up. And it doesn't matter them. So, see, liberals aren't our threat. Right. It's these conservative ones that want to infringe upon Christian liberty and that want to talk about their great love of Jesus and saving the world. The ones that have the great commission that they're keeping vigorously every day, though there's 168 hours in a week and most of them don't spend one minute on the great commission. Mark 7. Mark 7, let's just turn there and read a little bit about the Pharisees to recognize some of the traits of the man that came to Jesus by night that Jesus committed himself to and taught him some things. There's many places, do you you know how often in the New Testament the Pharisees are mentioned? Over and over again. I'm going to read a number of verses here. Follow along with me as we get their doctrine exposed. Mark 7, 1. Then came together unto him the Pharisees and certain of the scribes which came from Jerusalem. And when they saw some of his disciples eat bread with defiled... What a dirty word. (laughs) That is to say, with unwashing hands they found fault. They will find fault in the most ridiculous little things. And I'm not going to start chasing rabbits or we will not get anywhere. But they will find fault in so many things that we do in this congregation that the Lord has either given us mercy to do specifically or that they are matters of liberty. Defiled. Oh, their hands weren't washing for the Pharisees and all the Jews, except they wash their hands off, eat not, holding the tradition of the elders. They were traditionalists, were traditionalists, but our traditions are the word of God. What Jesus and his apostles taught, and it's called tradition. 2 Thessalonians 2, 15. We want to hold fast to tradition, the tradition of the apostles. And these Jews, when they come from the market, except they wash, they eat not and many other things there be, which they have received to hold, as the washing of cups and pots, brazen vessels, and of tables. Then the Pharisees and scribes asked him, Why walk not thy disciples according to the tradition of the elders, but eat bread with unwashing hands? He answered and said unto them, Well hath Esaias prophesied of you hypocrites, as it is written, This people honoreth me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. Howbeit in vain do they worship me, teaching for doctrines the commandments of men. For laying aside the commandment of God, ye hold the tradition of men, as the washing of pots and cups and many other such like things ye do. And he said unto them, Full well ye reject the commandment of God, that ye may keep your own tradition. For Moses said, Honor thy father and thy mother. And whoso curseth father or mother, let him die the death. But ye say, If a man shall say to his father or mother, It is Corban. That is to say, a gift, by whatsoever thou mightest be profited by me, he shall be free. And ye suffer him no more to do aught for his father or his mother making the word of God of none effect through your tradition, which ye have delivered. And many such like things do ye. That is my Lord Jesus Christ. That is how He spoke. That is how He taught. And that is how He cuddled up to the Pharisees. (laughs) He ripped them for their man-made religion. They had added many such like things to the washing of their hands and the washing of pots and cups and brazen vessels and tables, they had made those things important, all the little, I don't drink, smoke, or chew, or hang around with those that do. While they invent decisional regeneration, a millennial kingdom of the Jews being reassembled in Jerusalem for Jesus to sit in an earthly throne for animal sacrifices to be re. Uh, installed, that God has never kept the promises made to Abraham and his descendants about the land, and on and on they go. They have their little rules, but they'll fly right in the face of anything the Bible says. Right. So Jesus pulled up one of their, one of the rules that God had given, honor thy father and thy mother. And honoring father and mother includes, when they have a need, you supply it. Now the Jew, these Pharisees, had worked up a system where that if they had assets that would be to the benefit of their parents, they could say, it's a gift. I have dedicated this to the temple. I'm going to give it to the temple so I can't give it to you. And Jesus said the only purpose of it was was to avoid keeping the commandment of God of honoring father and mother. That's a Pharisee. I hope that you're thinking of them the way I'm trying to convey how you ought to think about them. They were despicable. They were the number one enemies of the Lord Jesus Christ. He constantly had to fight against them, their hypocrisy and their lies and their corruption of true religion, making it, using the word defiled about hands that weren't washing before they ate and yet not honoring father and mother. You know in this church... The great emphasis that is placed on honoring father and mother because it's taught plainly in the Bible in both Testaments. So when I say something to you about honoring father and mother, you should listen because it is the Word of God. And I am going to defend it, preach it, in every bit of its fullness. You've heard verses from me about honoring parents that you didn't even know were in the Bible. And we're going to keep it that way but I don't care if you wash your hands before you eat or not unless mommy told you to. If mommy told you to, then it's no longer a matter of liberty. But my mommy isn't around to tell me to. So if my, if my fingers are all defiled with my keyboard and I want to pick up a sandwich and eat it, I am going to do it and enjoy that sandwich with its added materials. For those of you that think my keyboard is defiled, it probably is the filthiest piece of equipment in the house. I love these p- p- kind of passages. Right. This is the Lord Jesus Christ. He didn't try to accommodate them. He wasn't, try- he, didn't- he wasn't gentle with them. He just blasted them for their heresy. And we want to have a very committed Position in our church and a committed attitude that what the word of God says that is our tradition. That's what we do. That's what we emphasize. That's what we stress. That's what we push. That's what we enforce. But all these little things that they have. No. You know, there's certain garments of clothing that women can't wear in certain of their circles. Show me in a Bible. Those garments that they're talking about don't make a cross-dresser. On and on we could go. You know, the great gift of God in wine, taught throughout both Testaments, that Jesus drank often. Thus he was called a wine-bibber. They're teetotalers, so they have all these little ticky rules. But when it comes to the Word of God, you know, they've got God frustrated in his love and loving those in hell as much as those in heaven it's because they're Pharisees. Lord, save us from Phariseeism, save us from Sadduceism. save us from scribal errors, save us from the Levites, the priests, the Herodians, and anyone else in the New Testament that was contrary to your Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Jesus used a short parable to exalt a publican over a Pharisee when he said a publican you know, wouldn't even lift up his eyes to heaven but smote his breast and said, God, be merciful to me, a sinner while the Pharisee went off at the street corner telling the Lord about what a better man he was than that publican down the street. Jesus told things like that frequently to aggravate the Pharisees and to comfort the publicans. And what does it do for us? It comforts us and teaches us about false religion. Much more could be said, and I'm going to pass on. There's much. Brother Newell preached a sermon about the Pharisees a long time ago. You can look it up. It's called Religious Conservatives. It's on our website. There's many things that can be said about them. We don't want to look for any commandments that are man-made and put beside God's rules. I don't even like study Bibles. A Schofield reference Bible has so many words of C.I. Schofield on the page along with the words of God, it's just flat-out scary. You don't want anything competing with God's words. It's not wrong for you to have a study Bible. It's just dangerous for you to have a study Bible. Because you have the words of men there. We don't want the words of men. We want the words of God. Judge not by appearance. Sometimes they're going to look holier than us. Listen, if you've ever been around Mormons, they look holier than we do. I mean, they won't even drink stimulants. At least the good old-fashioned ones. We really look bad when you're throwing down one of those Red Bulls. They look nobler than we do. But Jesus said in John 7, 24, Judge not by appearance, but judge righteous judgment. Amen. Cut past the surface look and get right down to the real substance of the matter. You know, when you, when you look at a Catholic nun, and if you've met a nice Catholic nun, and I did meet some in Michigan... They can be very friendly and nice ladies. And they sure do give up more than I gave up. But they don't follow the word of God. So we don't judge by appearance, we judge righteous judgment. Noble-sounding reasons do not justify any alteration to God's words at all. Most men will justify themselves rather than submit to God and His words. Reputations are worthless. Foolish and scornful questions should be rejected. The higher the education, the more spiritual ignorance, pride, and rebellion, most of the time. There was a man of the Pharisees, John chapter 3, named Nicodemus. The best we can know is conqueror or victor of the people. He was a master or teacher in Israel, as Jesus made reference to it in verse 10, where Jesus said, Art thou a master in Israel? That's a master teacher a chief teacher, a ruling teacher, and knowest not these things. We have three events recorded by our gospel writer, John, about Nicodemus. The first 19 verses here in this chapter are Jesus to Nicodemus. Down through verse 21. And then from there on, it's it's other exchanges between John the Baptist and the Jews. In John chapter 7, he defended the Lord Jesus Christ In the Sanhedrin are the rulers of the Pharisees. And then he helped Joseph of Arimathea bury the Lord Jesus Christ. He was a ruler. Authority comes with a price, and it comes with responsibility. The Bible says, Be not many masters, knowing that ye shall receive the greater condemnation. So for for those of you that are aspiring to be a husband, aspiring to be a father, aspiring to be a boss on the job, maybe aspiring to be a pastor, remember, be not many masters. This man was a master. He should have been accountable for spiritual information for the nation of Israel. And he's going to show his great ignorance in verses 4 and 9 by not understanding what Jesus Christ is talking about. Rulers were fearful of the Pharisees. Look at John chapter 12. The Pharisees were always causing trouble, making threats, and causing the people to be timid about coming forth in following Jesus Christ for those that had sincere faith. John 12:42 Nevertheless among the chief rulers also many believed on him. John 12:42 Among the chief rulers also many believed on him, but because of the Pharisees they did not confess him lest they should be put out of the synagogue, for they loved the praise of men more than the praise of God. Now we can tell that these individuals didn't have a real faith in God because they were more afraid of men and they desired the praise of men more than they feared God and desired His praise. And so we've got a ruler of the Jews. You young men. There was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. You young men. I had the privilege late in my youth of hearing about Elihu. You have had the privilege early in your youth of hearing about Elihu. You children that are sitting there, Zach, I'm looking at you. I'm thinking about you right now. Zach, there's a man in the Bible named Elihu. And he's introduced to us in Job 32. And let's turn in our Bibles to Job 32. And let me read just a few verses about Elihu. I want you to grow up to be like Elihu. Elihu wasn't afraid of old men. Elihu wasn't afraid of rulers of the Jews. Elihu wasn't afraid of those with PhDs. Elihu wasn't afraid of those that went to seminary or cemetery. Because that isn't what gives wisdom. That clouds men's minds. That steals men's affections. That redirects them from God, the Holy Spirit, and the Word of God to men and to commentators and to professors. And we want this as our inspiration. You always want to think and speak about the Bible's act. Elihu. In Job there are five men. Job, three friends named Eliphaz, Bildad, and Zophar, And the young man, Elihu. And Elihu, because he is young, has sat there and listened to these four older men argue with each other for 31 chapters. But the end has come. He's about to blow up. And the Bible wants us to know that, that godly young men get to a place of wanting to blow up. But they handle themselves to come off like this. Verse 1 of Job 32, So these three men ceased to answer Job because he was righteous in his own eyes. The four stopped talking because they couldn't make any headway with righteous Job or self-righteous Job. Then was kindled the wrath of Elihu, the son of Barakel the Buzite of the kindred of Ram. Against Job was his wrath kindled because he justified himself rather than God. Also against his three friends was his wrath kindled because they had found no answer and yet had condemned Job. Now Job, now Elihu had waited till Job had spoken because they were elder than he. Zach, as you grow up, if you're in the presence of older men, you let the older men talk first. But if they don't have the answer, when they finish, you are welcome to give your opinion and let your opinion be based on the Bible. Elihu in verse six, I am young and ye are very old. Wherefore, I was afraid and durst not show you mine opinion. I said days should speak and multitude of years should teach wisdom. But there is a spirit in man, and the inspiration of the Almighty giveth them understanding. Great men are not always wise, neither do the aged understand judgment. Therefore, I said, hearken to me, I also will show mine opinion. Liam and Landon and Logan, Samuel, Jonah, Abraham, Timothy, Benjamin, Micaiah, Josiah, Gabriel, and countless others have mercy on me, folks. Be like Elihu. You are not afraid of rulers of the Jews. They don't know anything. Generally speaking, and the inspiration that you can have is written in the Bible. Elihu had some direct inspiration from God. But we have it written down for us. And what's been written down for us is more sure than God's voice to Peter on the Mount of Transfiguration, according to 2 Peter chapter 1. Thank you, Lord. Do you understand the importance of us stopping when we get into verse 1 and it says, There was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews, because we're about to read how ignorant that man was. And we are about to read that a carpenter's son named the Lord Jesus Christ of Nazareth Put him to shame. We speak that. We do know. What are you talking about? Lord, thank you, Heavenly Father. All you boys and young men. Feed yourself on Elihu. There are great outlines on our website. Just type in Elihu on our website. Have your dad show you. If you're too young. Turn to Psalm 119. I'm thankful for these verses. I'm thankful for these verses. Every young man should be taught these verses. Some of you young men are old enough that you've been taught these verses. I hope that you'll remember that I'm speaking to an audience larger than this assembly. I want every young man under the sound of my voice, every boy, to grow up believing what I'm about to show you. Because these verses are empowering. And us older men can do as well. What's the number one commentary, the most popular commentary in the world? Whether it's at Bob Jones or anywhere else, it's Matthew Henry. He's a ruler of the Jews. 1 Corinthians fifteen twenty nine is a favorite Mormon text. Because by it they teach baptism for dead relatives. The verse reads like this, else what shall they do which are baptized for the dead? If the dead rise not at all, why are they then baptized for the dead? I got confronted by two Mormon missionaries when I was a young, ignorant pastor. I, can't, I won't be again on that text. But I went and looked at Matthew Henry. And Matthew Henry takes an entire page on 1 Corinthians 15, 29... He gives ten possible explanations. He doesn't dare give the right explanation because the right explanation is Baptists. Baptists are the only ones that can explain the verse. But he gives ten explanations, and at the end he says, "After all this, the only thing we can know for sure is that the Corinthians knew what he meant." <laughs> now that's a ruler of the Jew. And if you think that I'm make, faking that, just you know, you can, all you got to do is type into a Google search box. Matthew, Henry, Exhaustive Commentary, 1 Corinthians 15, 29. And you can read all ten jokes about 1 Corinthians 15, 29. You can go to our website and find the real answer for it as well. Here's, a, here's three verses for you, Zach. Let's, I'll give you four. Mm-hmm. Psalm 119, 97 through 100. Amen. Psalm 119, 97. Oh, how love I thy law! Exclamation point. Does everyone here with me, do all the boys and the young men, love the law of God? Oh, how love I thy law! And it's got an exclamation point. It is my meditation all the day. Now, how many of us do that like we should? Let's meditate on the Word of God until it fills us and is in our lips so that we can give the answer of the certain words of truth to those that ask us. Verse 98. Thou, speaking to God, thou through thy commandments hast made me wiser than mine enemies, for they, that is God's commandments, are ever with me. I have more understanding than all my teachers, for thy testimonies are my meditation. I understand more than the ancients, because I keep thy precepts. Amen. If you will keep God's commandments with you, verse ninety-eight, His testimonies to meditate upon, verse ninety-nine, and if you will obey His precepts, verse one hundred, God will give you greater wisdom, understanding, and knowledge than your enemies, your teachers, and the ancients. Those are the commentators. Those are the the rabbis. Those are the rabbinical elders of Israel. You can have that. Some of you young men that I named will be going to places this year where teachers are going to tell you things different than God's Word. You don't have to say anything, and you shouldn't, unless you're asked. But you should have the courage of God's Word, and I never want you to lose it. And I, this is very important to me and for the future of our church, if the older members understand that our boys... And our girls, to a lesser extent, and our young men, must be established to be like Elihu and be like David. Elihu. Elihu and David were exceptional characters because they had exceptional confidence in the Word of God. Joseph, I can see you nudging over there. I, I, was, I didn't mean to leave you out. You're sitting behind Esther. So Zach got the attention today. Nicodemus is going to expose his ignorance as a ruler of the Jews. This nation had been turned over to ignorance. Look at Isaiah 6. Isaiah chapter 6. Israel was in a terrible state of affairs because of their own rebellion, their own neglect of God, their own neglect of His Word, their allowance of the Pharisees to bring in so many man-made traditions that contradicted the Word of God. Isaiah chapter 6 is that wonderful passage that has the vision of God in glory on his throne that so moved Isaiah. But that vision ends in verse 8. And then he gets a commission. He has said in Isaiah 6, 8, Here am I, send me. And that is how we should respond today. Whatever roles you have, whatever jobs you have, whether it's at the Bank of North Carolina or at Clemson University, whatever roles you have, Here am I, send me. When I hit the trail tomorrow morning, I'm going to hit it as a child of God, loaded up with inspiration by His Word. I'm going to meditate on His precepts, and I'm going to do good to all those that I meet. Do not let this day pass as just some verbal exchange out of the pulpit of this church. Here am I, send me. Every one of us have a mission that we should be on. And it's not so much to be a missionary as it is to be an obedient child of God in everything that we do. And he said, here's his commission. I want you to hear this and I wonder why this is not put up at missionary conferences. Listen to these words. Go. Does that sound like go ye into all the world? This would fit, wouldn't it? We've got the same first word. Go and tell this people, hear ye indeed, but understand not, and see ye indeed, but perceive not. Make the heart of this people fat, and make their ears heavy, and shut their eyes, lest they see with their eyes, and hear with their ears, and understand with their heart, and convert, and be healed. Then I said, Lord, how long? And he answered, until the cities be wasted without inhabitant and the houses without man and the land be utterly desolate. Was an abomination of desolation coming? Well, this was going to be true until then. And the Lord have removed men far away. Were they removed far away to the salt mines of Egypt and to be led through the streets of Rome? And the Lord have removed men far away, and there be a great forsaking in the midst of the land. But yet in it shall be a tenth, and it shall return and shall be eaten as a teal tree and as an oak, whose substance is in them when they cast their leaves, so the holy seed shall be the substance thereof. It was going to look like Israel was done, but there was going to be within it. Like an oak tree looks in the wintertime when all the leaves fall off it, but yet there is in that oak tree life. And that life comes back. And there's going to be a tenth that remained. Now this is a different kind of a commission. I haven't ever seen this one at a missionary conference. And I've been to quite a few in my lifetime. But this is a text. And it's true right now about Nicodemus and the rest of the Jews. This passage right here, this prophecy is quoted repeatedly in the New Testament. For those of you that are wondering, does this apply to Nicodemus? Absolutely. This is quoted in Matthew 13 when Jesus gave an explanation why he spoke in parables because he was fulfilling Isaiah chapter 6. This is mentioned in John chapter 12 when the Jews didn't believe on him. that's where I just took you about the rulers that believed on him were afraid of men. This is quoted in Acts chapter 28, when the Jews found Paul as a prisoner of Caesar in the city of Rome and came to him, he explained, this is upon our nation right now, this prophecy. And so there we have Nicodemus in his ignorance because God had blinded the nation and rightly so for their rebellion against the prophets that he had sent to them and their lack of interest in the son of God himself. God does send a famine for the Word of God. Look at the little book of Amos. Amos. Hosea, Daniel. If you can find Ezekiel, then you'll find Daniel. Hosea, Joel, Amos. Amos chapter 8. It's a couple books after Daniel, which is a book after Ezekiel. Amos chapter 8. And with this, we got through a verse. We live in the perilous times of the last days, brethren. You know, we don't have Isaiah 6 on us, per se. That was on the Jews. We don't have Amos 8 on us directly, but we certainly have Amos 8 on us indirectly because the New Testament told us that there was a time coming in which men would no longer endure sound doctrine, but would heap to themselves teachers having itching ears, and they would turn their ears away they would turn their ears away from the truth and be turned unto fables. And we live in the fulfillment of that. Like it's never been fulfilled before. Amos 11. Behold, the days come. Amos 8. I'm sorry. I was referring to the verse. There is no 11th chapter. Amos 8.11. Behold. Behold. Behold, listen, folks, the days come, saith the Lord God, that I will send a famine in the land. Not a famine of bread, nor a thirst for water, but of hearing the words of the Lord. Is there any shortage of bread in America? Not at all. Is there any shortage of beverage? Not at all. Is there a shortage of hearing the word of God? A severe one. Where does it come from? God sends it. Behold, the days come, saith the Lord God, that I will send, I will send, a famine in the land, not a famine of bread nor a thirst for water, but of hearing the words of the Lord. And they shall wander from sea to sea and from the north even to the east. They shall run to and fro to seek the word of the Lord and shall not find it. We get their emails every day. We have come together in this place so that we might hear the words of the Lord. I have been led to this verse to share with you again today because of the words. There was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. Art thou a master in Israel and you don't know these things? We live in a time like that in our country. But we have the inspired Word of God. We should all be like Elihu. We should all be like David. We should all be like the Lord Jesus Christ. We should be like our brother Paul. We should sanctify the Lord God in our hearts. 1 Peter 3.15 But sanctify the Lord God in your hearts. How do you sanctify the Lord God? You set Him up high and holy. Sanctification means to make something holy. You make God high and holy in your heart. But sanctify the Lord God in your hearts and be ready always to give an answer to them that ask you a reason of the hope that is within you with fear and meekness. Lord, help us to do that. There was a man, there's men, women, and children listening to me. The Lord Jesus Christ is a sufficient Savior and Shepherd That he can take care of each one of us and we should run after him and run to him. He will embrace us in his arms. Our brother Ed prayed that we would spend today seeking out the Lord Jesus Christ. He's there for us. He was there for Nicodemus. He laid important born-again truth on Nicodemus. That man was of the Pharisees and the Lord has saved us from Pharisee religion. And whatever whatever vestiges of Phariseeism we have in our thinking in our consciences, Lord, purge us of it. We don't want a thing to do with them. We want to follow thy Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, perfectly. And let's remember that the rulers of the Jews and the rulers of the Gentiles and the and the doctors and the professors of the seminaries, are the ones that have led the people astray and everything has been watered down and compromising on the left hand and on the right hand. They've turned their ears away from sound doctrine and hearing the words of God and the truth of God for fables and fables are multiplying on every side and they have teachers heaped up that will satisfy the lusts of their itching ears. May God keep us committed to his words of inspiration that he's given to us in the Bible, and that we will fear no man, and that we will get rid of every man-made tradition and commandment that's ever come up, and that we will follow his word only. Lord, help us to that end and raise up among these boys and young men some great and mighty men to live your word and to hopefully preach your word and to lead wives and children in a way that would further your kingdom. Jesus, we pray that in your glorious name. Amen.